0: The Maldives. The Maldives.
1: Well, folks, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, and as I often do, I want to give you a little preview of what is coming up on the show this week. So for our inbox, we have a single listener who wants to know if there's a way she can become better friends with some of the moms who are her age in her church and kind of bridge that gap a little bit. Well, Ashley Bazer has seen this issue from both sides, and she's going to give some helpful tips. And then for our culture segment, we have a discussion on overcoming perfection with one of our counselors, Tim Sanford. And interestingly enough, he's also going to define the difference between fear, anxiety, and panic as part of this conversation, so you won't want to miss it. Okay, well, here we are for our roundtable, and as you know from last week where we talked about uh, us doing this roundtable, we're actually doing this live in Colorado Springs at Third Space Coffee here out in the Great West uh, in our own town with a live group of fantastic young adults in front of us, and so it's super, uh, totally a privilege to be doing this, and I want to welcome back as part of this our panel, Ken Harmon, Rich Wolf, and Vince Hoppy. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. All right. I am going to, um, Ken, I'm going to actually start this week off with you because I feel like this question, based on how you introduced yourself last week, is going to be something that um, is near and dear to your heart. So, this is something that we hear often in the church today, and it's something along the lines of I have been wounded by the church itself, and so I am not going to return. And my question for you is, what are some sources of woundedness in a church setting? And as a pastor, how
2: do you respond? I think I'll start with the second part first. As a pastor, you respond with, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you, you're hurting. I'm sorry that you had to go through this. Can we have coffee and talk about it? So I, I think i respond with the connection piece. But on the first part, I think one of the things that happens And it happened to me because I burned out in church. I was hurt by church. I haven't been in a church that I haven't been hurt. But what ended up happening is I had to change something, Lisa. And one of the things I had to change was I began to think about church differently. I began to think about okay, if church is not a social club, but a development center, then I should be growing in this development center, not just in who God is in my relationship with Christ but in my relationship with others. So I began to ask a question, Lisa, is it possible that God allows certain woundedness? I'm not talking about moral failures or these things, but certain woundedness as a part of my growth and development. Because scripture says, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So once I began to say, okay, let me not look at what someone did or even what I did, but let me look at what God is doing in this. Then the woundedness resided and I began to have a joy to say, okay, man, you couldn't have learned this lesson in a book. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's great. Other thoughts?
3: Yeah, I think some of the sources of, of uh, hurt, especially in our, in our time today, is uh, especially abuse around power. There's been abuse around power there has been coming out regularly. We've heard this on uh, other popular podcasts online. But then there's also great fear uh, by the church itself in addressing things such as LGBTQ issues, uh, women's roles in the church, uh, breakdown of family. And so there's a lot of these types of hurts that have resulted from primarily addressing things out of a, a posture of fear. And so that it comes out as aggressive um, and we're really good at saying no instead of really helping people understand what the church is for and where is God, uh, his vision for certain things and how, how are we to disciple and address people. And so a really wise person in our church who left one church because of abuse of power came to our church and says, you do not find healing from church by not going to church you only find healing from church by being in the church and so that is where you're going to find healing because that's where we get the gospel and jesus christ the true balm for our souls and the way he treats people as gentle and lowly you know a bruised reed he will not break and a burning wick he will not snuff out and so where do you get jesus is in the church
4: And I'd say one of the things, you know, just following up with what Vince said is I have seen in ministry that many people who are hurt, who are struggling, who are going through certain issues, uh, have a tendency of isolating themselves and even departing instead of engaging. And as a result of that, they're really doing harm to themselves. And in part of it, they'll say, well, no one has, you know, no one has embraced me. No one has, has come to me. No one has heard me. But I I see a lot of times people isolating themselves in the midst of their hurt as well. So I would encourage them to say, don't walk away from people, but move towards people who will listen and who will care for you and who will hear you. Uh, Because oftentimes we do that. Every relationship is made up of sinners. And so we all sin. And I can tell you that as a pastor, I have sinned against people Uh, Through neglect, sometimes through words that I've said, etc., and things I've not done, and so you just have—you know—we're all sinners trying to serve the same God who is our Savior, and so try to encourage—you know—just working on your own heart and saying, "Is there a way for me to, even in my pain, to not walk away, but to move forward and towards uh, those who really do care for you? They, we do want to shepherd you."
1: Yeah. It's so interesting because just with the, I'm thinking as you guys are talking, with the sheer number of times on The Boundless Show, we address mental health, we address past and present abuse in relationships, we address family brokenness, family of origin, what you grew up with, cycles you're trying to break. It's kind of like it's no wonder that you show up in a church. I don't know how many of us think we're going to go to church and just meet amazingly perfect people, but I haven't yet. And so I think it is so true. I, we talked, uh, for those of you who are listeners, regular listeners to the show, you know that just a couple of weeks ago I interviewed um, Bob Paul, Dr. Bob Paul, um, one of our lead therapists in our Hope Restored program at Focus on the Family. And he talked about this like, you know we're we're all walking around with bruises on us and we don't know all the time that we have these bruises until someone bumps up against us and hits a bruise and then we're like whoa and we react and in doing that we have a knee jerk reaction and that hits one of their bruises and then they react And then they're back at us. And the next thing we know, we're in a crazy cycle that we're not getting out of. And we're not relying on the Lord. We're just relying on the past tropes and the patterns that we've inherited. And so to get out of that with the gospel and to move forward in that is a big deal. And it's a means of growth for all of us and something that we can go after. So I appreciate that. And the sensitivity that you guys brought to that as well. Um, Speaking of sensitivity, let's go ahead, because I promised this last week, uh, we're going to talk about church discipline, this is something we all love, we all want to talk about, and we all want to happen to us someday, right? Um, now, it's something that we see in scripture, and uh, it was mentioned here last week as something that really is a hallmark of a healthy church and something that should be part of a church. But tell us, guys, what is a proper application of church discipline, and why is it important overall for church members to submit to the authority of trusted and accountable shepherds? Wow.
4: Well, first and foremost, the purpose of any kind of discipline is for restoration. It's for the person who has failed in one way or another to be restored and renewed first to God and then also to the body of Christ. So that's the, always the main purpose. It's never to be um, vindictive. It's never to be an attack. It's always for the sake of, of shepherding that person to a greater walk with Jesus Christ. And so that's first and foremost. You know, that's what we always say is this is the purpose. And it's wonderful when that happens. It really is. It's a picture. In fact, there's in our church, we had a situation where we actually had excommunicated a man from the church because of of his relationship with his wife. And fast forward seven years about, and he has grown, and he has repented, and he has reconnected with his ex-wife and they are now remarried and he is a man who just loves the gospel of grace and is now serving his wife beautifully now that is for me is like one of the greatest pictures of what discipline should be uh when it when it's able to be worked out it's always by grace it's with gentleness it's with love it's with the whole purpose that they come and are restored first and foremost to god but then also to the body of christ
2: yeah, so my, my approach to the question is, is definitely a little bit different because my background is in uh, human development. And so for me, discipline equals development. It's just how, there's no other way to put it. Discipline equals development. There is no, you know, we can go through the stages of life from a toddler all up. There's always development for someone that's a little bit over you. And so submitting to discipline, there's a simple question is, do I want to be developed? do I want to be developed? When I, when I accepted Jesus as Lord, I didn't know anything about church. I had no clue about church. I didn't know nothing about church. Uh, my first uh, Bible study, they said, turn to the book of John. I leaned over and said, I didn't bring that book. I, I only got the Bible because I didn't know anything about that. But I did know one thing. I knew my life was a mess. And I knew that as, uh, as often as I tried to put it together, it would end up back in a mess. So, and, and when I joined church, it wasn't, uh, maybe I shouldn't say this to some folks, it wasn't because Jesus is Lord. It was because I needed discipline and my life was a mess. And I can wholeheartedly say, I have not looked back and I have, have no regrets because my life had some, now has something that I never knew I needed, which was purpose. But I only was able to get that by submitting through the, the pastor who helped me develop as a, a Christian and now as a pastor. Yes,
3: yeah, so our, our elders have something similar to what you're saying. It's like we, we talk about discipleship before discipline. Mm-hmm. And so it is for that, the, the reclamation of the sinner so that someone would grow in Christ. That is that is the point of what we're doing. So we talk, at least in our tradition, is three purposes, purity of the church, holiness of God, and reclamation of the sinner.
1: Hmm. All right. Excellent thoughts. Um, okay, this is a little more, uh, again, on a practical level that literally everyone listening probably has heard of. I mean, I don't know if we can go a week without in a church context without someone saying... How have you plugged into your church? Are you plugged in? Are you plugging in? Who's plugged in? Where are you plugged in? Whatever. Okay, tell what in the world is being plugged in to a local church? What does that even mean? It clearly means it's more than just attendance on Sunday, but what is it? What's the value of plugging in? Mm
4: -hmm. Well, since I said that a little bit ago. (laughs) Are you plugged in, Rich? Uh, Yeah, I'm plugged in. All right, good. So. You know, it depends on the church what it looks like, but like our church is, is a larger church. It's not a huge church, but it's a larger church. So it really is easy. You just come, sit in the back row, go to you know church, and then scoot out afterwards. So what we've done is we've broken down the church into what we call community groups, large Sunday school classes. And so you come to that. That's where you start to build some further, more intimate relationships. But then we really encourage you to become part of a small group because that's where really being able to speak into each other's lives becomes more real. And so that's one way to get plugged in. Is, it's relationships. The church is about relationships. And so being plugged in, let's say, is to be involved in people's lives, walking with them, and they're, they're walking with you. Uh, secondly is that, and First Peter says that everybody has received spiritual gifts, and they're to be used them for the benefit of others. And so I would say, you know, asking that question, where do I fit in, using my gifts and my abilities to serve the church and the community where I live?
3: Hmm. Yeah, so I would say it's, it's using your time, talents, and efforts for the sake of this local body. So living, living on mission together with other people, that's when it starts to look like you're being plugged in. And so you could be serving in different ways. I will also say it, is, it should not be a dichotomy between I go to Sunday worship. And uh, being plugged in, I think being connected with God through worship is a key foundational uh, moment in which you learn and how you learn how to be a person, not just a Christian, but a human being uh, before the eyes of God. And so I think that's that's something that's that's important. And then being plugged in is then how do you respond to those people on So we got the vertical relationship and a horizontal relationship with those outside the church. And then how are we using our time, talents and efforts? So it's more about becoming whole and human again in the new
2: creation. Yeah. So I think being plugged in generally is talked about as far as connection. Are you connected? Are you Uh, in this? Are you in that? But I think a part of being plugged in is to understand that when God sets the body as he sees fit, that means he has a purpose for you. And it's not just for you to be there, it's for you to give while you're there. Because iron sharpens iron. So If God sets the body as he sees fit, in other words, he plugs you into a community. That means he's plugging you into a place that's going to help you get to your purpose. The purpose is always important to God. The connection is great. The connection helps build purpose because without people, you cannot get to purpose.
1: Yeah, it's so uh, interesting as I'm thinking of this because I feel like I've thought of this over the last few years in the sense of what does it mean for me to feel like my faith has mattered to me and mattered to others and this actually has made a difference and for me I think of myself like if I projected a year from now I want to look back and say, has the needle of maturity moved in my life? And I cannot sit around and read a bunch of books and be all astute and whatever and think that that's going to happen in a vacuum. I have to be with other believers. I have to be communing with God himself corporately with other believers. I have to be in personal study. I have to be serving others. I have to, and it just reminds me of, of a small group I was in where a friend and I, we were like... Here's what we need to do in our small group. We need to all just take a week and we're on the hot seat. And you just tell that person that's on the hot seat, like, what do they need to grow in? And they just need to be here for it. And we were like super excited about this. Like, we're going to go after it. And we presented this to the group and no one was there for it. (laughs) It was just my friend and I were like, let's do it. And everyone's like, no way. And so, anyway, it's just so funny because I'm like, but, you know, and maybe that was a little extreme, let's be honest but we have to be willing to, to go after that and be be willing to show up with our hearts and our minds and our spirits and be willing to be transformed. So, All right, uh, a thought for you guys. Um, I want to kind of close out this evening by asking you a question that really is kind of a big question, but I think it's going to really hopefully inform and inspire a lot of us in this because here we have um, both in the space where we're Uh, Talking about this now and those of you listening um, online or on your streaming platform of choice, I want to ask each of you pastors, um, just answer this how you will. What is your biggest encouragement in your role as a pastor? And what's your biggest discouragement? And how can we as a young adult community worldwide and locally best pray for and support you and
2: pastors that we come into contact with? When I was licensed as a pastor, again, my life was always a mess before that, but when I was licensed in a pastor, one of the guys that I used to hang with in the uh, Vineyard Housing Project, he literally said, he didn't know church etiquette, I barely knew church etiquette, but he, he said, if Ken's a pastor, it must be a God. <laughs> my, my biggest encouragement is that no one is beyond the scope of God's grace to become all that he calls them to be. No one. God is a God that can reach across borders, reach across cultures, reach across pain, and reach across hurt. No one is outside. My biggest discouragement is people of faith believing the lie that the church is not relevant because the church is portrayed as the good people social club then i understand but if the church is designed by christ the ecclesia to call us out but to also call us into then it is the still the hope of the world because it has a single focus and a single message and that message is jesus christ came he lived he died and he's returning and he's doing it for you
3: I think the greatest encouragement that at least I get as a pastor is when people talk to me about how God is working in and through their lives and just seeing how God is working. I think that is super helpful for me and knowing what I'm—sometimes I, I feel superfluous. Like, let's, let's be honest. I mean, they're trying to replace pastors right now with computers, and so that is, that's something interesting and but difficult. And I wrestle with that on a regular basis. And then I also, uh, there's a saying at Grace and Peace, and it comes from John 1.20, which is my life verse. And, And John the Baptist says that he confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And so we use this as a confession at Grace and Peace, I am not the Christ. And so what is encouraging at times, and what I want people to know, is pastors Your pastors are finite, limited, sinners, they are wounded, Mm -hmm. and they are needy. And they need the grace just as much as the grace that they are preaching every Sunday. And at times it is really hard for them, and it's been hard for me, whenever I hand out bread and wine and say, the body of Christ for you very hard for me to say the body of Christ is also for me. And one of the things that you can do then is understand and let them know that you understand that they are limited and wounded and they're finite. They are not the Christ.
4: Probably one of the things that encourages me the most is to see people uh, grow in their faith in Christ and just have an exuberance of who he is. And what he's doing in their lives and especially you find people who who are hurting and who are struggling and yet they find that that Christ is enough is sufficient and so when I see that happening and it just excites me and allows me to be uh, you know just so built up and encouraged uh, in the ministry Uh, discouragement is one of the things that uh, there's been several articles in what's called by faith magazine uh, recently that has talked about the fact that the majority of pastors have no one to go to, have no real friends, you know, especially like in the church. Uh, one of the advantages I have is I was a while I've been a pastor for many years. I was a missionary, so I was in the church, but I wasn't on staff at the church. So I had a group of men who just were really dear to me and just very, have a, we had that really neat relationship where we could speak into each other's lives. We were in Bible study together and so on, and several of them are elders. And so when I came on staff, I still had that relationship, and it's changed a little bit now because I'm always a pastor. And so when I go to a friend's house, the pastor hat doesn't always come off fully. And so because of that, that can be discouraging at times. And so one way to pray for is pray that the Lord provide a, another godly man to be that, that close friend to the pastor, to be able to speak into their lives and to care for them and to shepherd them. Because who do they go to to be shepherd and to be cared for? Uh, so that's one thing I would really encourage you to pray for our pastors because I think it's much more common. Uh, they feel very isolated and they feel lonely and they feel... They have no friends because they're always on. They're always a pastor. Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm. You guys, great, great conversation last week and this week. Thank you so much for sharing of yourselves, for sharing wisdom, for sharing biblical truth. We have all benefited from it.
5: And so I just want to thank you again.
4: Thanks for having me. Thank you. Mr. Appreciate it.
5: All day in a London cab, of phone with Tell the news is bad before the first tear falls No one wants the sorrow a call like this brings Sorrow doesn't get the last word after all
1: Well, folks, uh, we are here for this week's culture segment with one of our own. He is on staff at Focus on the Family. His name is Tim Sanford. We have had him on the show before, often to answer inbox questions, as so many of our counselors do. But this time around, we want to have a conversation with him. On specifically worry, fear, perfectionism, all the things that come around those three terms, which I know there are many of us that are like, oh, no, I don't really struggle with that. Well, just wait until you hear us have this conversation. Uh, Tim is a licensed professional counselor, he speaks, he's an author. Uh, pastor, and he has done much here uh, at Boundless and beyond, really to help people move towards greater health and and understand, uh, really God's role in that. So, Tim, welcome back to the Boundless Show.
6: It's good to be back. Yeah,
1: woo woo. Always great to have you. So, um, well, I'm going to jump right in here because I think um, it's not that we often just like dip into a dictionary and say you know today i really want to know the definitions of anxiety fear panic um many of us will assume they're the same things because we know we talk about this a lot at the boundless show how especially for our audience so millennials gen z younger generations um incidences of mental health struggles, mental illness and stuff. This is not something that is foreign to us. Many in our audience struggle with depression, anxiety, all of that. So I want you to, uh, it seems like when we talk about some of these terms, whether it's anxiety, maybe fear related to something, panicking about something, we think of them as the same thing, but they're actually not. Go ahead and give us a a definition so we know what we're going to be talking about here.
6: Well, good. And, and sadly, a lot of clinicians intermix the words too. Okay. So uh, it's not all you guys' fault. We okay. kind of taught <laughs> we you appreciate wrongly. Thanks yes. for okay. sharing the blame. Um, okay. Fear is when there is a real and a present danger. Hmm. Keywords real, so not imaginary, not maybe, and present, it's right now. Hmm. So if a bear's bolted into the studio here, that's a real. Present danger. Mm-hmm. And I hope you have some fear. That's mm-hmm. the run, forest, run part mm-hmm. of your downstairs brain, fight or flight. Okay. Anxiety and worry is the street f- term for anxiety. So okay. anxiety is where there is a possible maybe, but it's in the future somewhere, I don't know, danger. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a real danger, but it's not here yet. It's somewhere in the future.
0: Mm.
6: Okay. So the key phrase for anxiety is what if. hmm what if this happens? What if a bear comes? What if the roof falls down? What if I can't pay my bills? What if the car breaks down? What if, what if, what if, what if lions, tigers, and bears? Oh, my. But you see how it's in the future, not mm-hmm. the present moment.
0: hmm
6: Now, I'll finish that in a minute. Panic, then, is the ill-advised behavioral response. So the panic is the action. It's not the emotion.
0: hmm
6: Panic is the ill-advised behavior for either fear or anxiety. Mm-hmm. So it's the action. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if the building is burning and I just spin around and tap my head five times, mm-hmm. oh no, oh no, oh no, mm-hmm. that's not gonna help me get safe. Mm-hmm. That's an ill advised behavior. Mm-hmm. I panicked. Yeah. So that's how the differences and the definitions are.
1: Okay. Well, let's get back um to anxiety a little bit because I think this is something where, you know, and I've heard many other I've read stuff, you know, where, where we talk about how there is so much in the future that we can be anxious about. And then I've heard statistics put to it of like, you know, only 10% of that actually ends up happening. But yet here we wasted a lot of capital (laughs) being anxious. But it's not like we can just slap our hand and say, stop being anxious, right?
6: No, no. Because, yeah, you're right. Anxiety focuses on the future. Mm -hmm. Now, does the future exist yet? Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. Right. So what control, and control is a good thing here, that you have over things that don't exist? You don't. So you feel out of control because... Duh, you are. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist yet. Yeah. So the antidote with that then is not to keep in the what if, what if, what if world, but it's come back to right here, right now. Huh. You and I are in a studio together. Uh-huh. Okay? The control that belongs to you, Lisa, is right now. Yeah. I mean, you can ask questions. You can turn me off. You can, uh, the control and the safety that you want mm-hmm. is right now. Mm-hmm. As soon as your brain leaves this present moment, mm-hmm. and that's why things like groundedness, mindfulness is so critically important. Mm-hmm. As soon as your mind leaves this present moment, you sacrifice your awareness of safety
0: mm-hmm.
6: and you sacrifice your awareness of control. Yeah. And that makes it go. Duh! Yeah. And then that come the emotions then come the physiological feelings and you spiral out of control.
1: Okay. So clearly in this, because I think the what you're getting at here is that too many of us have allowed ourselves, we allow things to take control of us, our emotions, our circumstances, projections of the future, whatever. And you're saying that we actually need to, we need to have some intention about, I am, I'm not going to let this ruin today. I'm not going to let this ruin next week. This isn't, this cannot uh, this cannot have dominion over me in the sense that it will you know take control of my life where I am right now
6: well exactly because it 's a learned thing so the the ang- think of anxiety as a bad learning habit mm-hmm. okay it's that that 's all it is you 're not some deep, dark psychological problem hmm. it 's a bad habit in your brain, mm-hmm. which means it can be changed and altered now The problem with this is our u s culture does two things that hurts us: one is. It always teaches us to think in the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, as soon as you, you know, come home with a baby, if you're married, it, well, what about the college fund? Mm-hmm. You know, you get a job. Well, what about your retirement plan? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're 22 or 30 mm-hmm. years old. You <laughs> get a job. What about your retirement? You know, we're always focused on the future. We never teach you how to stay here in the present moment. Huh, the other thing is, in U.S. culture, we're control freaks,
0: mm-hmm.
6: and we think we should have control, we think we deserve control, and we try to control things we can't.
0: Mm-hmm. Now,
6: when you try to control something you can't, you lose, mm-hmm. I because mean, that's just reality. Mm-hmm. And the other part of reality is we've lost that awareness, there is so much in this world that I really actually don't have control over, and it's not mine to control. Yeah. I mean, the only thing really I can control in this whole world is me. Yeah. And that's not a very big part.
1: Yeah. Okay. So what about like, when you're talking about, I th- I think that's the the issue is that so many people think that anxiety or, or whatever it is, is just like, this is just how I am. This is just, I'm just an anxious person. And they use it to kind of define themselves. So how for the person who now is like, wait a minute, Tim saying something different. What if we're going to form new thought patterns in our head, and we're going to let go of old ones, what are you even suggesting is a step towards doing that? Because I think a lot of people think like, wait, I can actually take some steps in this direction. What are you telling me to do?
6: Yeah, because you can actually not worry the rest of your life. You That's possible because it's where your brain focuses. And so it's a trained thing. So we have to break a bad habit and we have to build a new habit. Mm-hmm. And part of that is, so the bad habit is the what if, what if, what if, lions, tigers, bears, am I? And you're right. It's such a habit that we just think that's us, that's normal, everybody does it, and we don't think differently. So the solution then is training your brain, finding a mantra or something to keep your focus right here right now. Hmm. One example that I teach a lot is I call it my three by five plus one it's It's a weird, goofy little technique, but it works there's a series of four questions, so ask yourself or number one. Name five colors you see right now. So look around the room. Name five colors. If you're by yourself, do it out loud. Mm,
0: mm -hmm, Okay? mm -hmm.
6: Second question, five sounds that you hear right now. Third thing, five things you physically feel. Not emotions, but physical feel. Hmm. Because that's using your physical senses, sight, sound, and touch, Mm -hmm. to ground you to right here, right now. Hmm. See, Mm -hmm. the future doesn't have colors, sounds, and touches, except, uh, uh, uh. I mean, it has those (laughs) things That's in your head, but they're not real. So use your physical senses to ground you. Now that you're here, question number four, you ask yourself, what do I need to do or think about right now? Hmm. What's the next thing in front of you to do? Mm -hmm. Because you have control over that. Mm -hmm. And when you're focused here, you're not focused on the past, Mm -hmm. which is good. You're not focused on the future either, and that's good
1: hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. It's funny because I've often done uh, the way I've often tackled it is I've thought, you know, if there's something that I can sense myself starting to spin and be like, there's this thing happening next year. And all of a sudden, I'm all crazy about it and wondering how it's going to come to be. I have to think to myself, do I want to be in next year? thinking about how I just wasted a year worrying about next year. And so it's almost like recrafting your future by putting yourself in that place and being like, I don't want to be that person that just wasted all of this year worrying about something that i don't have control over
6: well exactly because you could only be in one box at a time past mm-hmm. present or future so mm-hmm. if you're off in the future what if what if what if lions tigers bears oh my you're not here in the present tense yeah um i used to do a lot of rock climbing and guiding is rock climbing so let's say i'm climbing we're going up up is fun i don't worry about climbing yeah if i'm to worry what would i worry about
1: yeah um well you've <laughs> What falling? Probably falling, which is where past,
6: present, or future. It's in the future. future. Now, here's what my brain does. What if my hand slips? What if the rock crumbles? What if my foot slips? What if, what if, what if lions, tigers, bears, am I? And it actually distracts me to the point of it increases my chances of falling. The Mm -hmm. thing I don't want to do. And so that's the part of it is it distracts me. It throws me off balance. And most of the things that we worry about never happen anyway. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you know, wasted energy and time. Mm -hmm. But the other part that even makes it worse is I wasn't here and I missed out on here. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
6: So I'm not really living.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I think we have to tread into the space of um, the concept of perfectionism in light of this. Now you did, um, you did mention the word control, which I think often goes hand in hand and, and expectation. I mean, I think that there is, and again, this is like you guys who are listening, this is right where you're living because I hear this from you all the time that the expectation of younger adults to, Know everything, be in everything. I mean, we have FOMO for a reason. You don't wanna miss out. You want to experience everything. You wanna be that person that's constantly learning. As a result, you are, you know, you're getting burnt out. You're going crazy. You're self-judging. You are looking at unattainable standards at every outlier who is out there because they are available (laughs) via podcasting and Instagram. And all of a sudden we have the whole world to compare ourselves to. So Tim, you've gotta talk to us about um, perfectionistic thinking and outline, I I know you outline kind of what it sounds like and some reasons why it is so dangerous. Because I think most people think of it as like, if I can be a perfectionist, I mean, that's like hashtag goals. Aren't we all supposed to be that way of just being better and better, Tim? We want to be better. Well, yeah, better (laughs) is different than
6: perfect because you will not be perfect. You will always fail if that's your goal. Yeah. So again, Perfectionistic thinking is just a bad habit in your brain. It's not some deep, dark, psychological issue, again, like we talked about. And it's coined in the phrase should or shouldn't. Mm. And we use those words a lot, and they sound good. Mm-hmm. Like, well, we should love God, shouldn't we? And you should do this, and we shouldn't do that. And, oh, should I do this? And, well, I shouldn't have done that. And should have and shouldn't, and shouldn't have. Here's the danger behind that word, though. It creates a black or white, right or wrong, do or die world. Mm. And so at best, Lisa, you have a 50% chance of being the idiot every single time.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
6: That isn't helpful. So it's dangerous because there's always a second sentence. There's there's three reasons it's dangerous. One, there's always a second sentence after the should or shouldn't. And it goes like this. But you didn't, jerk. There's <laughs> mm-hmm. a condemnation there. Mm-hmm. See, I shouldn't have yelled at my sister. But you did, stupid. Mm-hmm. You hear the condemnation. Mm-hmm. I should have called my friend. But you didn't, lazy now, if you want to live in a condemning world your whole life, feel mm-hmm. free to keep the shoulds, but that's not very good <laughs> mm-hmm. for you. Okay. Mm-hmm. The second danger, since we're talking about control, now, here's the weird part, is it gives you an illusion of being in control. Because mm-hmm. you do all the shoulds, don't do all the shouldn'ts, life should go the way it should, shouldn't it?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well,
6: it doesn't. Yeah. It's not going to. <laughs> okay. Right. And if you're doing something because you should, think of a relationship. So I love this person because I should. Mm-hmm. Would you want to be loved because somebody should love right. you? It's like, right. yuck, no. Right. Okay. I want them to love me because they choose to. So if you're doing it because you should, the shoulds are in control and not you. Yeah. So if you want to live a life of condemnation and no control, mm-hmm. keep the shoulds in your thinking. That's fine, Lisa. Okay. Yeah. The third danger is is there's no sense of healthy, legitimate accomplishment or pride. Mm. If you did it because you should, it's like, well, Lisa, you're a Christian person, and that's what you should do. Mm-hmm. That's the least what you should do. Right. Versus, well, I did it because I chose to. Then you get the kudos, the credit when it pulls off well. Yeah. So if I choose to love God by my own will and my own volition and choice, okay, I can take legitimate pride in my relationship. Mm-hmm. If I just did it because I should... Duh. Tim, what do you want? A medal on it? What, what's the deal? Yeah. So you. So if you want condemnation, okay, no control, mm-hmm. and no legitimate credit for anything, yeah, keep the shoulds or shouldn'ts. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm trying to be the, the, the vacuum salesman here because I'm trying to set you and your audience up for uh-huh. the alternative here with us. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So if you want, yeah, keep the shoulds or shouldn'ts. It's not a good, healthy way to live.
1: Yeah. Well, which is funny because... Um, Even if you were very good at keeping a tally sheet and doing your shoulds most of the time, Other people aren't going to do their shoulds, and so they're not holding their part of the bargain, and then you're just mad at them because you're like, they're going to
6: add some shoulds onto you that aren't on your list because you should listen to them, particularly if they're an authority, shouldn't you? Yeah. And then you should do this, and then you shouldn't have done that according to their list as well. So the list becomes endless.
1: Yeah. Okay. So here's my friend who I just had a conversation with the other night about how she literally, Tim, lies in bed at night. And reviews her entire day and all the ways that she messed up and the ways that she should have done things differently. And why did she say this to this person? Because you shouldn't she have. She said this. Well, and even if she thought, she's like, well, I'm sure that they took that the wrong way. And now they're mad at me. and Because if they, they don't... shouldn't
6: take it the wrong way. Do you, do you hear the shoulds? Yes. Yeah.
1: So, okay, help her. How is she supposed to re-script that? So one, she can eventually get to sleep. And two, she can just get off this crazy hamster wheel of projecting out the way people are thinking about her and the way she should be doing things.
6: And And to say... You shouldn't think that way; is not going to work. Right? Okay. Probably stop not. Stop it no. doesn't work because so she's,
1: bo- she's a she's a card carrying perfectionist. She will tell yes. you
6: that. Well, I, I'm the preacher's kid, the missionary kid. I was born having to be perfect because okay. you know that that's <laughs> part of my dilemma yeah. there. So we have to trade it out. Okay. Again, it's a bad habit, so we replace it with a new good habit. Now habits are built off of repetition over and over again. Hmm. So here's the three options that I would suggest to your friend. Okay. The word could. The word or the phrase, I wish or I choose. Hmm. See, I shouldn't have said that to my friend. But you did, idiot. There's a condemnation. Okay, I wish I wouldn't have said that to my friend. Hmm. Now, that's still a true, accurate sentence. Actually, more accurate than the other one. And so I can feel bad. I can feel sorry. Mm -hmm. But there's no condemnation. Hmm. See, we should love God. Well, I choose to love God. Now, who has the control there? I do. I choose to love God. So the control is mine. And then when my relationship with God is good, I get the credit for it because I worked hard. So could I wish I choose? And so now, just because you hear this broadcast, it's not going to instantly change your brain. Mm -hmm. Again, a bad habit. Mm -hmm. So here's what I encourage your friend to do. Every time she says the word should or shouldn't, or thinks it, the ones that she catches... Don't beat yourself up because I shouldn't be saying should now, should I? Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, whoa, 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 whoa. okay. Just rephrase the sentence with could, I wish, I choose. Hmm. Whether you catch it right away, whether you catch it an hour later, whether you catch it at night, Mm -hmm. okay, just rephrase that sentence. That's all you need to do.
0: Mm -hmm.
6: You're not going to catch all of them, and you don't need to. Mm -hmm. But it's that transforming of the mind, as Romans talks about, that's that's what you're doing. Mm Mm-hmm. You're exchanging the lie for the truth over and over and over because I shouldn't be saying should anymore, should I? And I shouldn't be worrying now, should I? And now I start to worry that I'm not going to stop the shoulds and the two get together and they being beat up on you and she'll never get to sleep. Yeah. So could I wish I choose? That's the new mantra for your friend.
1: Okay, that's good. Okay, so also help her because I, I can tell that when she's going to listen to this and she's going to already start um, getting worked up over the fact of... Okay, but Lisa, I hope Tim isn't telling me that all of us as believers then are just supposed to like lie around and be slackers and be like not care about other people or care about any kind of, you know, achievement or anything like that. And I feel like you have something to say about the difference between seeking perfection and seeking excellence. So can you please tell us the difference between the two?
6: Yes, because if I replace it with could, I wish that you see, I could be irresponsible now. Mm Mm-hmm. See, because the shoulds have the bite. Mm -hmm. I could be. Now, do I want to be? No. Mm -hmm. So you're actually being your real self. I choose to be responsible, I choose to pursue excellence. And so there's a difference between perfectionistic thinking and excellence. Just a couple of things, not through going over them. You know, excellence is a sense of what's real, you can be excellent in something. Perfect is that idealistic, the shoulds and shouldn'ts. It's, I, you're, you're never going to get there. Mm-hmm. If you're a pianist, you can play a piece excellently. You can play it with passion. Is it perfect? No, because you know I could play it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. So one thing is realistic versus idealistic. Again, could, I wish, I choose versus should or shouldn't thinking. Um, The tone of voice is very different. With excellence, it's a desire. It's what you're reaching for. Hmm. Versus perfectionism is what you're trying to avoid, and it's a demand. So if I'm your coach and I'm a perfectionistic coach, I'm going, all right, team, whatever you do, don't lose. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't lose. You Mm -hmm. shouldn't drop the ball. You shouldn't make a foul. Mm
0: -hmm.
6: How encouraging is that? Versus team, you've practiced hard. You can do this right. Go all out. Go and win. Mm -hmm. You hear the difference in the tone of voice. Um, Excellence allows for the process. You're growing. You're learning. You're improving. And it allows for that. Perfectionism, no, it's the bottom line only. Mm -hmm. You're either perfect or you're the idiot Mm -hmm. You know, with that. And then the results of it though is excellence, you have a sense of accomplishment, you can. You have a sense of fulfillment and success. You reached for something and you got it. Mm -hmm. Where with the perfectionistic thinking, it's disappointment, condemnation, frustration, failure. And it's that deep voice and that big finger saying you should, you should, and you didn't. Mm -hmm. So perfectionism is fantasy and unreal. Mm -hmm. Excellence, is real, and reality.
1: Hmm. That's good. It's so interesting. I'm reading a book on leadership by John Wooden, who was the UCLA coach for many years and is known to be or has been said to be one of the best coaches of all time. Uh, you know, and he was he was in basketball. And I'm just struck by um, his, his requirement of his players was that they do... The best that they can do to the best of their ability that they condition that they play hard that they keep their focus that they do and it was never it said in the book that he never talked about winning or never talked about the other their opponents of like well you need to beat them you need to because again you have to do all you can do is the stuff that you have control of and i thought that was very interesting to hear his perspective on that of thinking that here was a guy who required someone's, what does it look like for you to do the best that you feel you can do with what you have right now on the floor, and you do that, and then the outcome, you have to wait for the outcome of that.
6: And you can do that. That's reachable. That's attainable. That's within your control is to do your best. Mm -hmm. Okay? Can you guarantee the win? Mm -hmm. That's out of your control. You can't. So that's the difference, and that then clears your mind- Because I'm focused on what I can do, not what I can't do. Yeah. One of those phrases in counseling, do what you can, not what you can't.
1: Yeah. So good. Well, awesome. These are great thoughts. And of course, there's so much more um, that we could say, we do want to let you guys know that, you know, we talk about this a lot, especially when we have our counselors uh, here on the show, that we have here at Boundless and Focus on the Family, a whole team of counselors who are willing to do, uh, if you contact us, an initial consultation to maybe just kind of hear where you are in this as you're processing it, and uh, get you maybe some directions, some resources, and even they're allowed. To uh, and they do give referrals uh, to folks maybe in your local area um, for some additional counseling and care should you need that. So if you go to focusonthefamily dot slash get help, or you can call us at one eight hundred the letter A and the word family one eight hundred A family. You can set up a free consultation, and uh, also by going to the uh, Focus on the family.com slash get help, you're going to see a slew of uh, resources there. There's some advice. There's some different tools uh, that you can use. Um, And in the midst of that, we will have that link. If you go to boundless.org, just search for 772. So um, yeah, man, Tim, thanks so much for being part of this. Perfect.
5: Yes. (laughs) You got the whole world in your hands, got the whole your plans You've got the whole world in your hands It's the hardest thing, it's a constant fight In a world that moves at the speed of life To slow the chaos down But slowing on down is the only way I'll ever hear what you have to say I need to hear you now You've got all of this figured out, you've got the whole world in your hands, got the whole wide world in your hands, and every little thing is under your command, so I will trust your plans.
1: folks we are finishing out the show by opening up our inbox and we have got a fun guest here this week to answer this week's question which came from one of you i have ashley Bazer here hey
7: ashley hey lisa
1: okay this is really an uh, interesting one because it's about you know we often encourage people here at boundless to like make friends outside of just your tribe but sometimes that can be tricky and so um ashley is going to weigh in with some expertise on this here is the question How can I, as a single woman, become closer friends with some of the young moms at my church who are my age, especially when I don't have that much experience around kids? There's one person in particular who I want to be closer with because she seems very open and the type of person who'd be a great friend. I want to spend more time with her, but it's hard to outside of group church events because she has little kids. Should I keep trying to get closer to her and other young moms or just focus on getting closer to other single girls?
7: Yeah, this is a tough one. Mm. Um, I remember when my husband was a pastor, and I had the only small kids in the church. We lived in this tiny town, and I really needed that adult connection. Um, But there's this one woman who wanted to hang out, and she was one that really wanted to be married, really wanted kids, but she was so emotionally draining Mm. that i felt like i had another kid Mm -hmm. and so i had to (laughs) set up some boundaries and kind of distance myself from her Mm -hmm. so i would recommend not to be that woman Mm -hmm. (laughs) um young moms are super busy and yes they want that time with adults so your friendship is valued and your partnership would be even better so even if you don't think you're good with kids what would it hurt to try um i would suggest setting up a time to meet for coffee and then maybe bring a coloring book and crayons for the kids to keep them distracted Hmm. um but also keep in mind that moms really don't want to ask for help. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of expectations and social media shows us that every other mom out there has it all together. Mm-hmm. Um so I think one of the best approaches might be something like, hey, I know you're busy. Could I stop by with a couple of lattes? And a break might be just what you need. Mm-hmm. So, you know, offering that kind of partnership would be awesome. Plus, it all comes down to coffee, right? <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> That's good. That's the best thing. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, I think my main point is to not be discouraged. Mm-hmm. Keep trying to be closer, but do so in a way that makes that mom not feel like she has to take care of you um but and keep inviting her out with the other girls because mm-hmm. she needs that connection and yeah she's busy but i i think that would really help her heart as well
1: yeah Well, and I'm so glad that you answered this question, Ashley, because I know that you, you know, you lived life as a single woman, Mm -hmm. you know, before getting married. You've seen definitely both aspects of this. It's not like you were just like 20 and got married and you're like, all I know is, you know, being a mom with young kids. And so that's cool. But I really love that, the the willingness to enter into the mom's world and just be like, it doesn't always have to be super exciting. Maybe you can just go over, like you said, bring a latte while you guys are, you know, she might be doing some laundry or cooking dinner or whatever, and it's just a chance to hang out and make it attainable for both of you.
7: Right, and that small gift will go a
1: long way. Yeah, I think that's great. So, well, great thoughts um, from Ashley on that. And again, you know, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to be your friend. It doesn't mean that all of these are going to work out, y'all, but giving the time and attention and just saying, like, I actually think you're an interesting person and I would love to get to know you really goes a long way especially for young moms who will often feel like their identity is so tied up in just being yes, a mom and yes. that's all that they do and that's all they they would love to talk about something other than sippy cups you guys so <laughs> maybe give them a chance to do that and be a listening ear so ashley thanks so much you bet well you guys um that is it for this week's show a lot of stuff packed in um as always but of course we want to hear from you write to us at editor at org, and maybe we can answer a question question that you might have in the future. You can also go to boundless.org and search for questions we've answered in the past. We love learning from you and from each other. And this is a great way to do that. In the meantime, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show.
5: The Boundless Show is a production of boundless.org. Focus on the family.